in worship this morning. Um, you know, we continue into Mark uh, chapter 3 uh, on those things. And, uh, you know, as we take a look at uh, what Jesus is, is doing in the Gospel of Mark, Mark uh, wants us to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Now, he tells us up front who he says, who Mark believes Jesus is, and, and that's the theme verse to some extent of Mark is, is this, you know, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But Mark doesn't want us just to uh, take his word at it. He wants us to go, how would you answer the question, who is Jesus? And as we come to Mark chapter 3, it's, it's one of those times where we're going to see how people answered that question. And we see that, that Jesus himself is getting to the point where, where he can't even eat in peace. Anybody ever be there, been there? You know, as we all deal with many pressures, do you ever feel like you're in a pressure cooker or an instant pot? You know, pressure cooker is the old thing, but an instant pot. You know, I love our instant pot next door. We can do things as quicker with an instant pot than we ever could on the stove. But you kind of feel like the pressure is just building and building, and you're not quite sure what's going to crack first. You know? And this world puts a lot of pressures on us, and we put pressures on us. And we see here in, in, in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, yet a large crowd followed him. They came from all over. Because of the crowd, the pressure's coming in. He says, get, get in a boat. Now, most of these guys knew about boats. At least get some space. So that the people would keep from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with the disease were pushing forward to touch him. The pressures of life, and sometimes what needs to happen is when we get pressured in life, we need to retreat and withdraw, create some space in life. You know, I know uh, for me, one of the things I'm trying to figure out, and I, I don't have it figured out yet, is the, the, the more I'm doing for our church and with our church, the more I really need to also be away. You know, to try to rest and refresh. The pressures come. These aren't bad pressures. I mean, we have a lot of good things happening in our church. Amen? We're looking at six or seven people who want to obey the Lord in baptism in a couple of weeks. That's a wonderful thing. Amen? We have, we have people coming in. We, we are younger today as an average age uh, of a church than we were five years ago. And that's a wonderful thing. Amen? But that all comes with different things. You know, one of our prayer needs is, is about a youth intern and, and youth ministry. Why? Because, well, I'm doing that, and I think we're going to do some good things, but I, I can't do all things. And, and, and our boards, we, we have good boards, and we need to continue to see how we can try to uh, minister one to another, and you guys have to minister to one another. Because there are some things that I am going to step in. That maybe Larry wouldn't ever step in, but there's things Larry can do that I probably ought not do. 
you know, and he tells me he's good. I listen sometimes, right, Larry? You know, but we all have to come in. Sometimes when the pressures of life are great, we need to create space. Yet that is the hardest thing and sometimes the most unproductive thing we think about. Yet, this is exactly what Jesus does after this. It goes, he went on the mountainside and called to them those he wanted. Anytime Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is going out to the wilderness or the mountainside, we need to know something major is going to happen next. You know, last week we talked about the Sabbath, and, and Jesus talked about the Sabbath being made for you and I, not us for the Sabbath. So we got to keep it in its right place, but he's not, he was not saying... Just continue to be busy, busy, busy with life. Sometimes we have to pull back, slow down. And if we don't, life has a way of slowing us down. And so Jesus is going up to a mountainside to pray, and he calls to him those he wanted and they came to him we're starting to get this question that the gospel of mark wants us to try to answer and to ask who is in the kingdom of god and who is out how do you get in and how are you kept on the outside see the beauty of uh, jesus is that, and, and the Christian faith is, it is uh, inclusive in the sense that anyone and everyone can come to know Jesus as Lord. Anyone and everyone. It is exclusive in the idea that Jesus is the only way. But it doesn't matter where you come from. When we get a list of people here in Mark chapter 3 and, and 15 and 16, we, we have the 12 that he appointed. We, we also see another the point is Jesus is transforming all things. He's doing something new here, and he calls 12. If you're a good Jew, 12 is a very important number. 12 was the tribes of the nation of Israel. And even at this time, a Jew couldn't point to all 12 tribes because some of them no longer really existed by any records that we knew of. But Jesus is saying there's something about the kingdom of God that is different. And he calls one Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter or Rock. Now, I love it, and the people I read, and I read a lot, I love it. You know, Peter is kind of a nickname. It, 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 we are going to read about it later where Peter's going to make a confession. And, and Jesus says, and Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And and, and I tend to take, uh, some do, it's the rock of his confession, but also Peter himself. I mean, he was the major player in the very early, early church. But uh, as one author I read this week, part of what Mark is maybe trying to get us to set up on is uh, Peter here, he doesn't always act like a rock. He kind of acts a little rock-headed, you know, like he's as hard as a rock. He doesn't always get it because Mark is going to tell us it's not always about how much you get. It's about do you continue to follow Jesus? And then he, he gives, uh, we see James and John. To them he gave, gave the name uh, Bornerges, which means sons of thunder. And we're supposed to sit here and go wonder what that's going to be like. I mean, Noah, what if I called you almighty warrior son of thunder? 
You, would you believe me? Not a chance. But you scored two goals last night, didn't you? You surprised I know? Are you surprised that I know that? Yeah, see? Careful, I know things. All right? He's playing soccer, by the way. All right? But, but, but we're to get this idea, wonder what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. They're sometimes called sons of thunders because they are more interested in the power and the impressive workings of Jesus than they are following Jesus. Yet they're part of the 12. Quentin, you don't have to know all the right answers yet. You just got to follow Jesus. Well, it's not that simple, but that's part of it. Logan, you may mess up. You may not act like what Jesus wants, but, but being a follower of Jesus, being in, isn't about having all the answers. It's about responding. Because what does it say in verse 13? He called them and they came. And then we read others. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot. Well, here, man, talk about a crude group. The Zealots weren't, they, they were ready to kill in order to bring about the kingdom. And Judas Iscariot, Mark then tells us his nickname, nickname as the betrayer. Now, there's things with that, and we won't go there today. But we have this, and then right away, Jesus enters into a house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Can you imagine that? He calls those he wants, and they follow him. They come to him, and now they're going about doing what he's going to ask him to do, and he can't even get away from the pressures. And Jesus is transforming all things. And then we have this wonderfully interesting discussion that comes about verses 22 and, and beyond. Well, 21, then his family heard about this and they went to take charge of him. They went to grab him. All right? They're not necessarily, they're, they're, they right now are not in. And then the family relationship was way important back then as it is today. Okay? And it bookends this, saying he's out of his mind. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem was always up as far as elevation goes, so anywhere you went was up to Jerusalem. If you came out of Jerusalem, you went down. It isn't like up and down as far as north and south like we think about it, you know? Uh, so when my mom comes to visit, she always comes up because we're north. Technically, elevation-wise, uh, you know, uh, it's also true because she's down in a valley, you know, but we could also say go down. But they're coming to investigate. They've heard what Jesus has done, Mark 1 and 2. They've heard that he's forgiving sins. They've heard that he is healing demons. In fact, we read earlier that the demons would fall and cry out saying, you are the son of God, but Jesus would give those demons tremendously strict orders, absolutely forbidding them to say anything. Who's in? Who's out? Jesus is saying the demons aren't in. They may know the right answers, but they're not on the inside because they're not actually wanting to follow him. You may know the right answers, but that doesn't mean you are in. It means you know the right answers. 
The teachers of the law, verse 22, came down and said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. What a charge. This, this Jesus who's been forgiving sins, who's been healing people, who has been casting out demons, creating life. Now the religious leaders of his day are saying it's only by one power he does this. It's by the power of the enemy himself. And we see in chapter 3 right away that Jesus starts a different tactic. If you would flip back into Mark chapter 2, you, you see that uh, when the Pharisees and the teachers, they, they ask him about why he does things, he will actually interact directly with them. In Mark chapter 3 and beyond, Jesus is no longer going to interact directly with his accusers. Doesn't mean he's not going to teach, but he's not going to ask them many questions anymore. Because he just goes on to say, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily uh, say anything other than he teaches in a parable and he says, how can Satan drive out Satan? Okay, so this is what you're saying, let's, ask, let's go along that path. He's not believing them, obviously, but he's saying, okay, if you want to say that, let's go down that path. If I cast out Satan by Satan, what does that mean? He says, if the kingdom is divided against itself... The kingdom will not stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. Anybody listening would go, well, duh. A nation that is at war with itself isn't going to be a nation much longer. A family that is fighting themselves will no longer be a family much longer. You can't. Because you will destroy one another. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then you can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty. Of an, in, of an eternal sin. Here's the hope of Jesus. Jesus can forgive all sins but one. I, as a pastor, and, I, and I, none of our other pastors, well, Pastor Ron's here, but none of our other pastors are here. Um, you know, I have at times, I have people come to me and they're concerned that they cannot be forgiven. And maybe that's you. And I said, well, have you blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? And they'll say, well, I don't think so, but I'm concerned I may not be forgivable. Because there's only one sin that is unforgivable, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you have done. If you are asking for forgiveness, it is on the table. I've also had people, Christians, come to me and say, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. Now, I want to take a step back. If you think you have committed the unforgivable sin, you probably have not. Because you think you may have. And there's concern. Here in Mark chapter 3, the part of the issue with the religious leaders is they don't even think they've committed a sin. They think they are right. They think that they are on the correct side. And they don't even believe they need forgiveness. They're not sitting there going, I wonder if that's us. 
They're as hard as rocks. All sins are forgiven except the unpardonable sin. And what is that? It is where, in my opinion, we continually attribute the work of Jesus to the work of Satan. It's not ignorance. It's not that you don't know. It's not that you are even maybe not sure. It is a continual spot where you say the things of Jesus are not of Jesus but of the evil one. And I would say if we ever get there, it's unforgivable, not because Jesus would not forgive if we asked. We will not even want forgiveness. Because we won't see, one, the need, or two, we cannot see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, the one who has the right to forgive sins. Now, there's debate, because Jesus says, whoever does this, did these people commit it yet? I think there's great debate, but we see they're trying to go, who is Jesus? And Jesus isn't the Messiah for them. Jesus says, every other sin, you can slander against others. I don't recommend that. It won't go well. You can do whatever else you want, and that can be forgiven. He's not saying, go sin. He's saying, look, I can forgive all sins. Your sin." My sin. But if we will not see Jesus as he is, if we will see Jesus and go, he can't be that, he must be the enemy, guess what? We will never accept his forgiveness and grace. That is the epitome of being a rock. Where you're so hard-headed, hard-hearted, That nothing good comes. And then he says, we go on back to the beginning. Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived. Standing on the outside, they sent someone in. Your mothers and brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mothers and brothers? He looked at those seated in a circle around him, the 12 in particular. He said, these, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. God, Jesus transforms all things. The kingdom transcends, means it cloaks over all normal relationships. Now, Jesus is not saying, Logan, your relationship with your mom doesn't matter. But what he is saying is your relationship with Jesus is more important than your relationship with mom. Now, you need to obey her and honor her as is fitting in the Lord. Okay? He's not saying family doesn't matter. That was a big deal for the Jews. How did you know who was in and out? You had circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, as we've talked about. If there would have been a trifecta, number three, it would have been your family. 
That's why we read in Matthew and Luke, Jesus, he, he went back to his family line. That's how you knew who was in and who was out in the kingdom of Israel. But the kingdom of God transcends normal relationships. For those of us who are parents, those of us who uh, are raising kids, we need to understand that what matters is whether or not they're in the kingdom of God family, not just our family. I mean, we we as our family, we've already had to make a decision, didn't we, Daniel? And you don't even know what I'm talking about just yet, but we've had to make a decision. Just shake your head yes for a minute, okay? What do you have today that's supposed to start here in five minutes? Baseball tryouts. What did we tell coaches? You're going to be late. It's just, it's non-negotiable for us. Not because I want to penalize him. You're a good ball player, you know that. You may not be the best, right? But you're good. But, but sports isn't going to be the end-all, be-all for him. There is something more important than that, and that is who, his relationship. And what's more important, listen to me, is your dad. Okay, just ignore everybody. What's more important is your relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus ever tells you to do something and I tell you to do opposite, you know what you do? You obey Jesus. And you prayed the Spirit upon me. Got it? Back to being a pastor. That has to be more important. I have to instill that into his life and into the life of Josiah and Eliana. I can give them everything else, but if I do not give them Jesus, I have failed. Not just as a pastor, as a family, as a father. That's why when I first came, I don't know if Jeff and Larry will remember this or not, I made one promise to them about when I would get out of the ministry. And that is if my kids hated Jesus solely because I was a pastor. If me being a pastor got in the way of my kids knowing Jesus, I am no longer a pastor. I'll go pick up trash or wait tables. Because being them to know Jesus is more important. We, as a church, we can do lots of great things with our young generation. We can go tubing, which we will do, but the goal there is to gain a relationship in such that we teach them who Jesus is, the one who can forgive all sins. We can do all these things, but if we do not press upon others, and I want you to hear this, church, this morning as I try to wrap up, Jesus loves you. And wants you. He loves you and wants you. I know I've preached it here and I won't go on that rabbit trail. I preached it here that you are wanted, not needed. Jesus doesn't need you to fill a task. He wants you to fill a task. He didn't need these 12 disciples per se. He wanted them and he gave them a task to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, to bring about life. Jesus loves you. Our kids played it. Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. All of us fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of Jesus is the gift of life. I don't care what you have done. 
I mean, I do care, but I don't care what you have done. If you come to Jesus, he'll say, I can forgive that. The only thing he cannot forgive is someone who never will attribute his work to being the work of God. You can call him a madman if you want. You can call him a liar if you want, but you can't call him Satan. He can forgive you for calling him a liar. He can forgive you for calling him a madman, a lunatic, and crazy. I mean, his family was saying he was crazy. We read at the end of Mark and in the other Gospels, his family comes into the kingdom because they recognize who he is. We don't read that about these religious leaders because I think they had already made their decision. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants to transform your relationships. He wants to transform all about you. Will you take it? You say, well, I don't know it all. Okay, neither did these 12. We're going to read that later on, Peter's going to get in the way. He calls him, he, call, he confesses he is Lord, and we're going to read that he gets in the way, and, and Jesus has to say, why don't you just step back behind me a little bit here, Peter, okay? It's not about getting it right. It's about continuing to follow Jesus, to lean into forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus is the Messiah. As I finish up, I read from Mark 2.10. What is easier of these things to say to the paralyzed man? Get, your sins are forgiven or to get up. Take your mat. Walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man, talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he healed the man. Jesus can forgive your sins right now, today. I don't care what you've done. You may be a serial killer in our place or watching us online. Jesus can forgive that. You may say, well, I haven't done much. You're right, you may have not. I've not done much either. But I know I've sinned. I haven't been perfect. Jesus loves me too. Jesus loves you. And what matters most is whether you're in the kingdom of God. Because when you're in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter if your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father gives up on you. You're in a bigger family. You say, why is that important? The book of Mark, the gospel of Mark was written to the early church who have lost brothers and sisters, who have been rejected by their own families, who were all alone. And to hear these words at the end, whoever obeys the will of my father, these are my brothers and sisters and mother. And they're going to go, all right, I'm really not alone. I got a bigger family and it is the family of God that connects us with Peter and James and John and Andrew and Martin Luther and John Calvin and a Liz Boss and a Francis and Anna Jane Massey and a Norma and Bruce 
McCullough, and Imogene McCullough is who I was really thinking of, you know, and a Dorothy Vorp, and, and, and a, a Clara a Nixon, and a Lydia a Largent, or Sargent, I can't read that one back there, and, and a Sarah Pence, and a, a Serena Rhodes, and, and, and a Kite, and, uh, a, you know, um, and others that we will celebrate that were the founding members of this church. And every generation to come. Because there's coming a day, as I conclude, where we will be together with all tribes, all nations, and we will be one family. I will stand next to a brother and a sister that I may not know what language they're speaking, but I will know what they are saying because we all will be saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who purchased us for God. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Not because I deserve it, because I understood Jesus loves me and wants me, and I've said yes to Jesus. Will you do that this day? Father God, we come to you. Lord, I, I, I pray that there would be at least one who would realize their sins can be forgiven. They, they, all they got to do is, is come to you. You are calling them as you called the 12 before, as you had called me many years ago, as you have called others. You are calling them to a new relationship with you, to a new family that they need to realize forgiveness is available for the things they have done wrong. Not because maybe they're an awful human being, but maybe because they are a good human being, but they have messed up. And you love them so much. So Lord, I, 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 I pray that at least one, whether it's online or in person, both, they would say, I'm, I want to be in God's family today. I'm going to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers because of his love for me. And they would just say, Jesus, I accept you as the Messiah, as Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. And then the promise of Isaiah, though our sins may be as scarlet, they shall be washed white as the snow that is outside our foots, our doorsteps. So Lord, we come. And for those of us who, who maybe have already uh, accepted the, the call into your family, may we persevere on, not because we have all the right answers, we don't. Not because we won't doubt, because we might. Not because we won't be hard-headed at times, because we may. But because you are worthy to follow. And may we spend time with you in such a way that we also then go out to serve our community, to proclaim the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. Because he loves. And Jesus loves us so much. That he came to save us, not to condemn us, but to save us unto eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that hope and that promise. And we pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you've made that commitment, first time or a hundredth time, let me know. Whether you're online, you can, you can reach out to me individually. You can reach out in the chats right now if you want. Let me know. Jesus loves you, and he wants you, and so do we. Will you stand if you are able as we sing this hymn, hymn 478, Have You Any Room for Jesus? Because he 